Well, Father, it is in the name of our Lord Jesus alone that we bow humbly before you and boldly come into your presence. Thank you, Lord, that uh, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and that all other kingdoms will collapse around it one of these days. Thank you that you are building your church. Thank you that you are raising up a people of your own. Thank you, Father, for our Bibles now, and as we open them and receive a word from you today, may your Holy Spirit have a great liberty to work in us. Lord, you're at work in different ways and at different levels in all of us. Help us to respond with all humility and in all sincerity and to walk in careful obedience to your word. Bless us now, Lord, and strengthen us and Give us the ability to be honest with ourselves. And may we benefit greatly now from this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have to tell you that I feel a little bit like country boy that was running across the pasture being chased by a bull and he hops the fence and he gets his shirt tail hooked on the fence post and he can't get off. And uh, my fence post is Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. In fact, I invite you to turn there. And I was kind of running through Genesis chapter 15 and uh, got hooked on the post there. And uh, actually, we started something last week that we need to finish this week. And it's all about our salvation. And we have the most interesting concept in Genesis chapter 15 that Abram believed God and it was counted to righteousness for him. And we thought about the fact that Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. And how does that all work? And is there more than one way to get to heaven? And we tried to establish, at least by way of introduction last week, that the Word of God clearly teaches, and especially the Apostle Paul emphasizes in Romans chapter 4, that it is for all people of all times that we are saved by faith alone and not in any way by works or any other element that comes in. And isn't it interesting, all the different ways that people think you can get into heaven, and we talked about that a little bit, that brought to my mind all the jokes about people going to heaven. You know what I mean? I have one that I've kind of worn out, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Some of you have heard it many times. But there's this lady, it starts out kind of sad. She had cancer and she was dying. And her husband kept her in the living room at home and brought in hospice and and assistance and a hospital bed. And little by little, the weeks went by and she failed in a very difficult time and she passed away. Well, immediately she was in heaven and she was walking around and she could see the pearly gates. You know, there's always pearly gates in these jokes. And she was walking around and it was so beautiful. I mean, there were plants and shrubs and and water fountains and rock gardens and just you know, angels fluttering. It was phenomenal. And every once in a while, the gates would swing open and she could look in and she would see how beautiful it was on the inside. And it's like, oh. She walks up to the gate and of course it's Peter who's at the gate of heaven, you know. And she says to Peter, can I go in? And he says, sure. She said, well, what do I have to do to get in? She, he said, well, it's simple. She said, it's so beautiful. I want to go now. He said, well, all you have to do is spell a word. And she said, well, what's the word? And he said, you just have to spell the word love. Well, I can do that, she said, L-O-V-E. Welcome, my child, into the heaven. She's enjoying herself. It's just beyond her imagination of glory and beauty and privilege. Well, just a couple weeks later, she was walking by. I know there's no time in heaven, but that's how the joke goes. And she was walking by. the. Peter signals for her, come on over. He said, listen, the Lord just called for me to go on, a, on an errand for him. Would you watch the gate for me? Well, sure, she would. And so she's enjoying being there, the beauty, because you can never get enough of heaven, you know. And so she's enjoying the beauty. And all of a sudden, walking around the corner comes none other than her husband. And it's only been two weeks that she's been there. And she's, honey, I'm so glad to see you, but what happened? You were in perfect health, and I never expected to see you here right now, but I, it's, I can't even tell you, begin to tell you how great it is here. He said, it, I, I can see that it's just beautiful. She said, but what happened? He said, do you remember that beautiful, blonde, young nurse that took care of you when you were so sick? So, well, just a week after your funeral, we kind of got together and we decided to get married. And um, so we went to the Bahamas on our honeymoon. In fact, 
The last thing I remember, we were enjoying our honeymoon. In fact, we were windsurfing, and I think I fell. I must have hit my head on the board. And so here I am. Next thing I know, I'm here. And, and she's listening, and, and, and he says, it's so beautiful here. And the gates had swung open a couple times. And he said, I want to come in. It's more, even more beautiful there. He said, what do I have to do to come in? And she says, all you have to do is spell a word. And she, he says, well, what's the word? And she says, Czechoslovakia. I love that joke. I don't know why I think it's so funny. He deserved it, didn't he? So, you know, we have all kinds of ideas, don't we, about getting into heaven, about what it takes to get to heaven, and about what God does in us or for us. And, of course, last week we bumped into some, just uh, by way of introduction, world religions and things that people believe, all kinds of things. You know, but this morning I want to get to the heart of the message of where we were heading last week. And you'll recall that I used as an illustration a combination lock, if you were here. And I said that, that what we want to see in this Genesis 15, 6, and I invite you to turn if you haven't already done so, we see in this statement of Abram's faith and God's committing to him righteousness, this salvation moment for Abram, we see three essential elements in our salvation. And I compared that to like your combination lock where you had to have all three numbers or you couldn't unlock it. And the more I thought about it, the more I think of a better analogy than that. And it would be this. It would be a three-legged stool because a combination lock can open with those three. And, and there's many elements to our, to our salvation that you might say need to be in the combination lock. But it's kind of like picture instead of the combination lock, a three-legged stool. And as we talk this morning, out of this verse, you're going to see three essentials for salvation for all people of all times, whether it was before the cross or whether it was after the cross. And these three essentials hold us up in our salvation. And really, when you begin to study salvation and all that God has done for us and provided for us in Christ, it's like... It's a, it's a stool with unlimited legs. There's all kinds of legs to our salvation. There's our adoption. There's our sanctification. There's our redemption in Christ. There's regeneration. There's repentance. There's all kinds of elements and dynamics to our salvation. And so it's a little bit like a stool. But how many of us really understand all the elements of our salvation? I mean, it's, it's really beyond, I think we, we just sang in How Deep the Father's Love, that uh, there was a phrase, and I can't remember it exactly right now, but it had to do with the fact that why, why you would do this for me, I cannot know. I, I can't even know why all this happened. And we can only try to plumb the depths. I mean, have you ever spent any time in Ephesians chapter 1 trying to understand our salvation in Christ? There's our election there's predestination. There's all kinds of elements to our salvation. But not all of us ever will really completely understand everything. It's so multifaceted and it's infinite in its uh, depth of truth and reality of what God has done for us in Christ. And so if we're sitting on the stool of our salvation, it's got like uncountable legs. But you're going to be able to go to heaven even if you don't understand every one of those parts of our salvation. Do you have to be a theologian to get into heaven? No, and, a lot, and let me tell you, a lot of trees have been killed to create the paper, to write the ink, to, to plumb the depths of knowledge and understanding of all of the, that's involved in our salvation. So if we start taking legs off, all right, of things that I have to understand or don't understand, I think essentially we get down to these three legs that... Once we pull one of these legs off, what's going to happen? Can you sit on a two-leg stool? Not very well. You know? You can keep your balance for a minute, pick up your feet, you're going to fall. And there are three ultimate legs of our salvation that are the essence or essentials of all of us in our salvation, whether it goes way back to, to Abel in the first family or anybody in the future. As we think, because last week we raised this whole question. How was it exactly that Abram was saved when Jesus hadn't even been born yet? Jesus had not come in the incarnation to go to the cross to be our sin bearer, to be our substitute at that point. How does this all work? 
And yet clearly, let's look at our verse. Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 clearly states that Abram believed the Lord and he, God, credited it to him as righteousness. And this phrase is repeated over and over and over again in our Bibles and in our New Testament as pointing to the point of Abram's salvation. We're going to see in our sermons coming up in Genesis how Abram is going to falter in his faith. But towards the end of our message in Romans chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, and Hebrews 11 doesn't even count those faltering in his faith. It just said that he never faltered. He, He kept believing. It's interesting how all that fits together. But there was a point in his mind. What did Abram understand at this point? You remember that three times up to now, God had promised him he would have children from his own body and that his family would be more than the stars in the skies, what he had just shown him in chapter 15. And we've reviewed that a couple times if you've been here. But somehow at this moment... Abram heard what God said. He looked up at the stars and once for all, he believed God and he had faith in the word of God. And there was a transaction that took place in the mind of God where God saved Abraham at that point, for lack of a better phrase. And at that moment, his faith and his belief was the point of his salvation. Do we have anything like this in the New Testament that can back that up? We looked at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and And just think about it. For by grace, we are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, that faith and grace are gifts from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Our salvation, Old Testament and New Testament, is always by faith. And that phrase is over and over again repeated in our Bibles. Whether it was Cain and Abel in the beginning, remember Hebrews 11 says that it was by faith that Abel obeyed God and offered an appropriate sacrifice. And it was his brother Cain who refused to believe God and cooperate in in humility. In that faith and believing the word of God, Abel was in essence saved. He became a righteous man. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was distinctly different from the rest of the world in that as the word of God came to him, he accepted by faith that what God said was true. He obeyed the word of God. He walked in righteousness as a result of his faith and he was different than the rest of the world. And he was made righteous, Hebrews 11 says, over and over Well, what was going on in the mind of Abram? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But let's take just a minute and let's turn to John's Gospel, chapter 8. And before we dig into our three-legged stool and emphasize what these three elements are out of Genesis 15, 6, let's take a look at a really an interesting exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees that's recorded for us in John's Gospel, chapter 8, beginning with verse 48. John's Gospel, chapter 8, beginning with verse 48. We're going to read through uh, verse 59 and just follow along. It's very interesting. And there's this interesting phrase that we read a few weeks ago that sheds a little bit of light on this subject. The Jews answered him, verse 48 of John chapter 8, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Now, the, the Pharisees are talking to Jesus. And can you imagine having Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, right there in your presence and looking at him and saying, aren't you a Samaritan and you're demon-possessed too, aren't you? They hated Jesus so much. Jesus says in verse 49, I am not possessed by a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. They knew, the Pharisees knew that when he said, I honor my father, that he was talking about God. And for him to say that he honored his father, God, meant that he was the son of God, meant that he was of the same essence as God, therefore God. Therefore, they considered this incredible blasphemy. Jesus says to them, I honor my father, therefore I'm the son of God. I'm of the essence of God. I am God. You dishonor me. Verse 50, I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. And I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. 
They come unglued. Jesus says right here, if you keep my word, if you accept by faith my word, you will never die. How did Abram get saved? By believing the word of God, by faith, he was saved. Jesus said, accept my word by faith and you'll never die. Oh, they come unglued. At this, the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you're demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? You see, in their mind, there was no one greater than father Abraham. And in their mind, it's why the Apostle Paul uses Romans chapter 4. He uses Abram as the illustration all through Romans chapter 4 because the Jewish audience understood Abram to be the most righteous of all the righteous men of old. And ultimately, these Pharisees believed that he was, he was sanctified and justified. He was justified by his circumcision, by a religious ritual. And Paul is building the argument that not even Abram was saved by his good works. Now, he lived a long time ago, and they point this out to Jesus. Verse 53, are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Now, watch what Jesus says. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. Boy, he's getting in their grill now. <laughs> you don't even know him. But I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. How to win friends and influence people in three easy steps here. You don't even know God. And if I said I didn't know God, I would be a liar because I do know God. And that's a fact. That's the truth. I cannot deny the truth. I am the truth. Jesus is talking. I cannot, he can't deny himself because he's the truth and it is the truth. But you don't even believe the truth and you don't even know God. Whoa, look what happens. Verse 55 again. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Now watch. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it. And was glad. How much did Abram understand that there would be a redeemer one day? How much did Abram understand that there would be a sacrificial lamb, someone to substitute in his place? I don't know for sure. We know that starting in the garden and the condemnation of Eve and the serpent's head being bruised by the offspring of the woman, that there we have the proto-evangelium. We have the first gospel given in the garden. And we know that these men had an understanding. Job himself, who was, who was at least a contemporary or older than Abram, said in Job chapter 19, remember he said, take a hammer and take a chisel and chisel it in stone I know that my Redeemer lives and that someday I will live also and I will see my Redeemer. How did he know that? How did he get it? I don't know everything that was going on inside their minds. But there were types. Remember even years later in the Israeli camp and Moses and the Israelites have sinned and God sends the serpents and they're being stung with these incredible vipers and they're being poisoned and people are dying throughout the camp. And what did God tell Moses to do? Make a bronze serpent, put it up on a stick and hold it up and whoever looks at it will live. And in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, I believe it is, he says, in the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man would be lifted up. And throughout our Bibles, we have types, we have pictures. And they had glimpses of truth, but they were always looking forward, weren't they? To finish this, look what it says in John 15. I tell you the truth. He said, seeing, uh, let me read verse 56 again. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day and he saw it and was glad. And Hebrews 11 tells us that he looked forward by faith always. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Whoa, would you have loved to have been there? It's amazing. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. 
I hate this guy. Kill him. And Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Wow. Is that incredible or what? What did Abram understand in his mind? I don't know for sure, but Jesus himself said that Abram had looked forward. Somehow, when Abram received the word of God, he recognized his incompleteness in the presence of God. He recognized that God was a holy God and that he was a fallen man. And he recognized that it was only by faith in God's word that he had any hope at all. And hence, it led to his obedience and his salvation. Three-leg stool now. What are the three legs? The first one we see in Abram's first part of, his, first part of verse 6. What does it say? And Abram believed God. Leg number one of the first essential of our salvation is the essential of faith. Of faith. You can take away lots of legs off this stool of your salvation and still sit on it with confidence, but you can never take the leg of faith off your stool and still sit on a secure salvation. Can't do it. The Apostle Paul emphasized over and over, and we just already quoted Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace through faith that you are saved, not of works at all. There is no righteousness found in the law and keeping the law, no righteousness in circumcision, no righteousness in any religious ritual or act. This faith. And this brings a point, though, for many people that I feel struggle with understanding what is this faith. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11 real quick. We're going to turn in our Bibles a little bit. And let's let the Bible define itself. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this about faith. What is this faith that saves? What does he mean? And, and do I have that faith? This is one of the most important questions you could ever ask yourself. If we are only saved by grace through faith alone, then I need to know if I have this kind of faith. Hebrews 11 says in verse 1, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Isn't that interesting? In other words, if you could prove it by logic or if you could prove it from the scientific method, it wouldn't be faith. But faith is taking the word of God alone, accepting him at his word, even though I can't prove it, but being 100% certain that it's true. And you say, well, how does that happen? That's why we say, when I quoted Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it is a gift from God that that includes the faith. God himself even generate, gives you faith. Through the working of his Holy Spirit, it's part of the mystery of our salvation. I don't know. You say, well, what part is God doing and what part am I doing? I don't know. But if you want to be saved, you can be saved and you need to believe. You just believe like it all depends on you and let God do the rest on his own. God will explain election and predestination and the free will of man and the sovereign selection of God in eternity future. I cannot explain it. All I know is he says, you better believe. And he also says, it is a gift of God, this faith. Well, here we are. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. and cert- Do you know that everyone has faith? Everybody lives by faith. And you walk in this auditorium, plop down in a chair, and you have faith that the ceiling's going to stay up. Now, Woody Beto's been all up and down through that ceiling, and he knows he made sure it wasn't going to fall down. But you don't know that. You don't know anything about this ceiling. That bad boy could fall and kill us all. But you had faith when you walked in. You have all kinds of faith. I read a story this week of a girl um, in, back in the 70s, an insurance company out in the Midwest was going to do a promotional for their insurance company. It was either an insurance company or a group of bankers. It was a financial institute. And as part of a promotional, they had this young lady who was a well-experienced uh, mountain climber and, and rock climber and rappeller, and, and she was going to rappel on a rope off of their big high tower building in the city streets. And she had climbed a number of famous mountains and so forth. And she was there. And as all the executives gathered around, she threw her loop and attached her rope on some kind of a stack pipe up on the roof that she believed would hold her. And as she backed out over the roof, the pipe gave way and she fell to her death right in front of all those executives. And that's a true story. She had faith that that pipe would hold her, but it didn't. Faith is being certain of something that I cannot prove for sure. 
See how there's... That's a strange dynamic, isn't it? But we all have faith in something, but you better have faith. You better know what your faith is in. So what, what is this faith like? What are the dynamics of this kind of saving faith? What do I think about? How do I understand this believing faith? I ran into... in in the Romans commentary of, of John MacArthur, an acronym uh, where he took the word faith, F-A-I-T-H, and he expanded on that word and what it means for saving faith by a word starting with each of those letters. Let me give that to you quickly. This is from John MacArthur's work. F in faith could stand for the facts. The facts. Okay? And let's take just a minute and let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I don't want to bog down and I'm trying to get, make sure we get through this message today and get my shirt unhooked off this fence post. But 1 Corinthians 15 is such an important chapter in our Bibles. 1 Corinthians 15. And notice here. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. I preach to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. You have taken your stand on the gospel. Gospel means the good news. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to what? To the word that I preach to you. The word of God accepted by faith brings salvation. Just like for Abraham, the word of God accepted by faith was at the heart of his salvation. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. What does that mean? It means if you believe in something other than the word I preach to you, it's a worthless faith. You can believe it all you want, but it's not true. And the F in faith stands for facts. This is the truth. This is the facts of the matter. And this is what I passed on to you, that which I received. I passed on to you as of first importance, verse 3. This is it. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures... How? According to the scriptures. That's the word of God is spoken. That he was buried and that he raised on the third day. What? According to the scriptures. That's the word of God that I receive by faith as my facts. He goes on to say all the people that he appeared to. And then he goes on in verse 14 and to say, verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. Why? Because the word of God is not true then and it's not trustworthy. It's not factual. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. It never happened. The word of God, according to the scripture, did not come true. And when God spoke the word of God and the word of God given through scripture coming fulfilled, fulfilling itself in the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't true. And therefore your faith is empty and futile and it doesn't work. This is the linchpin of Christianity right here. This is, this, is what, this is the glue that holds us all together. It is that Jesus is who he said he was, and he proved it by dying on a cross, being buried in a tomb for three days, and then in his own power and through the power of the Father and the Holy Spirit, he raised back to life again. And he proved that he was not an ordinary man and that he was God in the flesh. And 40 days later, right in front of the disciples, went right up into heaven, and the angel said, why do you stand there gazing? I think that's one of the most funny questions. I'd be standing there gazing. Why do you stand there gazing up into heaven? What's wrong with you guys? This same Jesus who has come to you, and here's the hope of the believer, will come again and receive you unto himself. John 14, 6, that where he is there, he may be also. The first thing we know is that the F in faith does not stand for feelings. Oh, I feel so saved today. No, it's based on the facts of the word of God that God has spoken and I receive this word and that's what I'm putting my trust in. A in faith stands for agreement. I need to be in agreement with it. Many people know the facts of the Bible, don't they? I know some of the facts of Islam, for example. I do not agree with Islam. I have not appropriated that and brought it into my life to trust it. I understand the word of God and I have come in agreement before God. God, I totally agree with what you're saying. I agree with this book whether I understand it or not. That's that kind of faith. There's an interesting little tidbit that I ran into 
a, a few years ago, the police officers in downtown Phoenix, Arizona, uh, found a th- little three-year-old guy walking down the street. And they got him and took him to the police station. And they figured that he was big enough, at least, to at least give him some kind of identity. And so the desk sergeant was talking to him real nice. And he said, what's your name, Sonny? And the kid said, Baloney. And uh, please, the sergeant said, tell me your name. He said, it's Baloney. They even gave him candy and stuff. Nothing. He wouldn't change his story. A few minutes after that, the phone started to ring at the police station, and it was a completely frantic, panicked mom saying, I need help finding my three-year-old son. He's gone. The police officer tried to calm her down, and he said, I think that we've already found him, lady. He said, by the way, it really help us if you'd tell, him, tell us his name. And she said, his name is Baloney. <laughs> you see, the policemen had knowledge, didn't they? But they, they pushed it away. They, they didn't accept that. They didn't agree with it. Nah, I'm not going to agree with this. And that's what people do with the word of God. A preacher or someone will say, let me share the word of God with you. Some of you, and I think these are great stories to hear, some of you can remember telling maybe a spouse, maybe a coworker, to get that Bible out of my face before you were ever saved, before you came to that place where the, your eyes were open and you realized this is the word of God and I must be in agreement with it. And you can remember where you were when it all came caving in and you realized, I agree with this. It's facts that I agree with. And closely related to that, the I stands for internalization. That is, it is for me. I'm not going to change the rules here. And I'm just taking it the way it is. And I internalize this. It's kind of a hard concept to understand maybe a little bit. But the idea is that, that this is mine. And this is at the core of my conviction. This is at the heart of what I believe. I internalize this. T stands for trust. We've kind of already emphasized that a little bit, but this is an unreserved confidence in the word of God. Look, this is the word of God. And you've heard the old preacher expression, and this is so scorned and so lowly thought of by the um, intellect of the day. But it is, people will say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it for me. You know, you're not stupid if if that's your position. Now, I think we need to be ready to give an answer to every man. And, but you can get yourself laughed at by saying, well, I don't know. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. But what is that indicative of? That is indicative of the kind of trust that saves, that's in saving faith. I come to God, and based on the truth, the facts of his word, okay, I then am in agreement with it. I internalize it. I trust it. It's like the guy you've heard of who fell off the cliff. And as he was clawing and scraping, as he was losing it, falling off the cliff, he finally found a, a branch and he's holding on to it and he's dangling, bouncing on, you know, on this branch, hanging over a cliff. And he, he begins to say, is there anybody up there? And he's quiet. anybody up there? Help me. Finally, a voice said, I'm here. Who are you? I'm the Lord. Do you believe me? Yes, Lord, I believe. I really believe and I need help. I can't hold on much longer. Well, that's all right, the Lord says to the guy. If you really believe, you have nothing to worry about. I will save you. Just let go of that branch. Quiet, the guy's huffing and breathing. Is there anybody else up there, he says. We don't like that, do we? We really don't like the old Nesty Plunge commercial. Remember it, some of you? where the guy drinks the nest tea and he falls backwards into the swimming pool. Have you come to the place where you trust God so much that you just do the nest tea plunge into the grace of our Lord Jesus? I don't know. Don't understand it all. All I know is one of the legs on my stool is faith. And I believe God. And part of my faith is that I trust his word and what he says and then, are you in, where are you in your Bible right now? 1 Corinthians 15, let's go back to Hebrews 11, to where we were. And notice in his definition, Hebrews 11. If you don't feel like turning there, just listen closely. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Look what he says. Now faith, 
is being, we've just read this a minute ago, but I want you to see the H in faith. Now, faith is being sure of what we, what's the next word, of what we hope for. What is this saving faith? It is facts, not feeling. It is an agreement with God. It is an internalization that this is for me. It is that I trust you and that I base my hope, this confident expectation. You know when your hope is tested more than any other time? It's when your world's coming unglued or you're dying. You will find out in a hurry what you hope in. You ever been next to the bedside of a dying saint? Need I any other reason to believe that there's a God? As I minister as a pastor, as I stood next to my own mother's bedside as she was dying, you find out what people have their hope in. And if they're holding on to any religious branches out there, oh, I should have done more of this. Oh, I should say these certain prayers. Oh, I should have this certain kind of water sprinkled on me. Oh, I should, no, let go, let go. Your hope is in the word of God alone based upon the facts. And through his word, we know that Jesus died on the cross. How did this all work in Abraham's mind? I don't know exactly, but I do know this, that he had faith in the word of God. How much he understood about Jesus, I don't know. But in the mind of God, we know that he was looking forward to the cross, that, that all of the sins of all mankind were sufficiently covered by the blood of Christ at the cross. And that the sins of Abraham were ultimately paid for at the cross. Now, I said, some, I said that phrase a little bit like that in the early service, and a lady stopped me and said, now you said in the service that all of the sins of the world were paid for at the cross by the blood of Christ of all men. So therefore, if somebody dies without believing, without saving faith, then they're only guilty of the sin of not believing. And I said, you know what? That's not what I believe. Ultimately... The work of Christ when he died on the cross was sufficient for all men to be saved and all sin of everyone was covered by him if they would accept it by faith, right? But if you don't accept the word of God by faith, I believe then you're responsible for your own sin. And that's why you have eternal damnation because you have to pay the price for your own sin, all of your sin. I guess ultimately the sin unto death is the sin of disbelief, isn't it? That makes sense, doesn't it? Well, let's crank off our other two legs on our stool. There was the faith leg. The faith leg, let's go in our minds back to Genesis 15, 6. Don't turn there. And Abraham believed, that's faith, right? Belief. And it was credited to him. The second leg on our stool, I'm just calling it, for lack of a better phrase, the credit leg. The credit leg. This, if you're taking notes, right in parentheses, is the doctrine of imputation. Say imputation. imputation. You know how you say it? You imp, imp, I-M-P. It doesn't have anything to do with this word, but I-M-P-U-T-A-T-I-O-N, imputation. What does that mean? Well, let me try to explain it this way. On the 4th of July weekend, I tore off my mother-in-law's old deck at the back of her house in Hedgesville. I love my mother-in-law, and I love to work for her and do jobs because she bakes me blueberry pie and things. It's an unconditional love, and I just wanted to work for her. Janet's daddy had built a deck in like 1975, and he was such a good craftsman, and he maintained it through the years when he was alive, and then I've maintained it out of natural wood, and it lasted for 25-plus years, whatever, more than that, 35, 40 years. I finally ripped it all off. It's a pretty big deck, and I replaced it, and I was... Going through from my house to her house to Hedgesville with my old, my little Ford Ranger, and I would stop at the Lowe's in Martinsburg and get a load of lumber every time to get what I needed. And, and my very first load, I wanted all of my, my uh, two by tens and my joists and things. And so I had a pretty big load. And you know those blue carts and Lowe's, I have it loaded, and Jonathan and I are like leaning against this blue cart trying to get up to the counter. And I whip out my Visa card. And uh, this is my driver's license, but I whip out my visa card and I hand it to the lady. Now, you need to understand that Janet and I don't use credit cards. We, pay, we live on a cash basis and our credit cards don't have any balance. And um, we don't owe on them and we've 
paid them off and we don't use them and we don't like that. We like to operate, pay as we go, as much as possible. But I had this big package of lumber here on this blue cart and so she swiped my credit card. Remember, this is the leg of credit on our stool, okay? She swipes my card and she swipes it again and she swipes it again or else I did and she looks at it and she said, this card is no good. I said, lady, listen to me. I am a super nice guy. I'm a pastor. Just let me go through the line. But the card is no good. You have no credit, sir. She didn't raise her voice. There's nobody who's going to stand with you to back you up on this deal. This card is bankrupt. There's no credit in your account. That's what I'm talking about here. We finally got a, a deal worked out with them. So everybody at the first service went out, well, how did, what, did you have to put the lumber back? I said, no, I had another card with me that I used. So you can rest about that. What do you do with that lumber? <laughs> Abraham believed and it was credited unto him for righteousness. Listen, this is the doctrine of imputation, and I've got to fly through this, but this is valuable material. Listen, this is a two-part thing. There's a negative part, and there's a positive part. This imputation has to do with my bankruptcy as a sinner and then getting good credit put on my account so that I have some credit. The deal is, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Right? And, and in the, we have Old Testament and New Testament strength for this doctrine. And turn to 2 Corinthians 5.21 for the New Testament one as I remind you of the Old Testament one. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Let me remind you what the Old Testament says about this. And this is an interesting passage. I referenced it last week, I think, at least in the early service. Isaiah 53, what's it say? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. But the Lord has done what? The Lord has laid on him, who's him, that would be Jesus ultimately, prophetic future from Isaiah. Jesus hadn't come yet. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What did the Lord do? The Lord took our sin and he reversed imputation. He took our sin and he put it on Jesus. The New Testament passage for this is 2 Corinthians 5.21. Look what it says. An incredible verse. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Listen, I can't totally explain all this, but what I know is that when Jesus hung on the cross, that Abram's sin and Van Marceau's sin was put on his account. My sin credit card was balanced out clean and clear. You ever pay off a credit card? That feels good. Feels even better to get your sin credit card cleared off. And who paid it? It came on Jesus. It doesn't say that he just paid for our sin. It literally says he became sin for us. You kind of have to meditate about that. I don't even really understand all that. He became sin in the eyes of God. Okay, so that's the negative part of imputation. He took my, he took my bankrupt account and took all of the debt that I owed and he turned it into Jesus. The next part of imputation is the rest of 521 in 2 Corinthians, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Think about that. Think about that. Imputation is this. It is a transaction that takes place in the mind of God. The moment I accept by faith the word of God, God imputes negatively takes my sin off of my account and puts it in Jesus. And he takes Jesus Christ's righteousness and he puts it on Van Marceau's account. Do I deserve it? Absolutely not. Did the Apostle Paul deserve it? Absolutely not. He was the worst of all sinners. By the way, you cannot claim to be the worst of all sinners. The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has that spot. He's the worst of all sinners. Do you love the reality of the second leg on our stool? I accept by faith the word of God. The word of God tells me, looking backwards, that Jesus died on, my, on the cross for my sin. 
looking forward to the others, they knew that their, all the iniquity was laid on him. Somehow they saw Jesus forward to the cross, but in the mind of God, Jesus was the sin bearer. He took off the debt, and then he credited to my account his righteousness. That's why when you get to heaven, listen to me. And God looks at you and says, why should I let you into my heaven? You don't say, because I'm a really cool guy. Heaven's better off with me, man. Let me hang around a while. I'll prove it to you. No. The only answer is, I don't deserve your heaven, God. I never have. I never would and never will. But there was a day when I read the word of God and I heard the word of God and I believed it to be true. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I took your word by faith. I don't understand it. I accept it by faith completely. And I know that it's true based upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit in me. I understand it to be true. And in that moment, in your mind, you credited the righteousness of Christ to my account. Listen, on your stool, you now have two legs that you have to have. Faith, you're only saved by faith and you're only saved by the righteousness of Christ. Thirdly then, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Just turn right to Romans chapter 4 and 5 and we'll be done in two minutes. I'm so appreciative of your patience. I get ribbed all the time for how long I preach, but how, how do you get through this, right? And my shirt's hooked on the post and I guess got to keep kicking my legs till it comes off. Let's just read... In conclusion, Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse 18. And with all this in mind, let's get the third leg of our stool down. And then next week, the rest of chapter 15, Lord willing. And we'll move on in Genesis. Romans chapter 4, verse 18, look what it says. Against all hope, Abraham in hope. There's that word. The H in faith is hope. In hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why, here's our phrase again from Genesis 15, 6, it was credited to him as righteousness. The word, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, now personalize this, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. The third thing, let's go to Genesis 15.6 in our mind again. And Abraham, Abram believed God, that was the leg of faith on his stool, and it was credited, that's the doctrine of imputation, his sin was taken away and righteousness of Christ was given on his account in the mind of God. And thirdly, and it was given to him for righteousness. And our righteousness comes from the work of Christ at the cross. That is the word, our justification. Justification is the third leg on the stool. Justification, what does it mean? Listen closely, this is what it means. It is a one point in time, as you study God's word, it is a point in time, and it's closely related to the doctrine of imputation. Imputation is involved in justification. It is the point in time, I take it to be a point in time, when I realize that I am a sinner and I accept God's word by faith and the gospel by faith and I am saved and God takes away my negative, puts the positive of Christ on my account. And at that moment, God gets up, moves over to the big desk in heaven, puts his judicial robe on, gets out his gavel, and he smashes down his gavel. And it is a judicial declaration by God the Father declaring me righteous once and for all. It doesn't mean I won't sin again in the flesh. It doesn't do all kinds of things. It's not, a, it's not my regeneration. It's not, it's not all kinds of things about our salvation. It is the leg on my stool where once and for all, Van Marceau was declared righteous. I was justified. He could only do that. 
He's the one just justifier, and he does it as a free gift for anybody who will just believe in his word. Bam. Isn't that something? That is amazing. How do you get saved? There's only one way to get saved, by faith in the word of God. That's why we send out missionaries to preach the word of God. Ultimately, the word of God that we hold in our hands is the story of Jesus. But the sins of all taken care of at the cross by Jesus. What a great leg. That moment in time when God declared me righteous. Is that you today? Now listen, if you struggle with your salvation, and, and I know, and Satan can create doubts, and our emotions swing, and, and we, get, we hear things, and we don't know what to do about it. Listen, I don't understand everything about salvation. I just know this much. I have to have faith in God. I believe it to be true for me. His word is truth. And I believe the second leg there is this doctrine of imputation. And when I believe by faith, then God does the work. God imputes to my account the righteousness of Christ. And thirdly, God justifies me and declares me righteous once and for all. Do you know that sometimes I sin? Did you know that? How many of you think the pastor sins? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) And I growl at my wife or I'm mean to my son or whatever. Man, what's wrong with you, Marceau? You're blessed beyond all measure, and then you're acting like such a dummy. And you know it brings great comfort to me to know that I can go, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, renew my relationship. But you know what it's all couched on, and it brings great comfort to me. I'll just say, you know, thank you, Lord, that you declared me righteous because I can't keep myself saved at all. He declared me righteous, and I count on that act. And if I die today, and I stand before the gates, I don't have to spell love or Czechoslovakia, and I won't even have to remind him because he's way ahead of us. But I'll just say, don't deserve it, but I believe your word by faith, and you declared me righteous, I'm justified. Three legs on my stool that I'm going to sit on. I'll keep working on understanding the rest of the legs. Where are you today, my friend? Do you know the word of God enough to put your trust and faith in it and that Jesus Christ alone is the one who took our place, substituting for our punishment to appease the wrath of a holy God? You have listened really well. I've gone past the hour significantly. Let's bow in prayer, please. Father, thank you for these great truths and Lord, um, it seems that there would be others who could, at a much greater level, articulate these realities. But what joy to open your word and to try to get a handle on these essentials of our salvation. And thank you for the testimony of Abram, how that when he received your word, he received it by faith and he, he counted on it as true for himself. And then you did this great work of imputation and justifying him. And thank you that through this justification, this declared righteousness, we have peace with you once and for all. Father, encourage hearts, calm minds, challenge sinful hearts, that we would know that our trust is in you alone for our salvation. It's in his name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.